everyone, and welcome to episode 319 of This Is Whole Life, and we are in the middle, one, two, yeah, you know, we're in the middle of our summer series. I was thinking, was this two or was it three? Because everything gets confusing to Randy when it comes to not being linear, and so that uh, Ken can keep it all in, in, in track, but I, I can't for some reason. But this week is number two, and we have two more, and I don't remember. Did we give them the big announcement last week of who's going to be here this upcoming week? I don't remember if we did. I think did we now. have talked about it. But I think it, we have. It doesn't hurt to talk about it more. We're going to talk about it more. This week was the movie Inside Out, and we'll get to that in a minute. But as long as Ken's kind of already here, let, let's tell him about Friday night. This Friday night, you're hearing this on Wednesday at the earliest, the immediate Friday following. Yeah. So this uh, upcoming Friday, we are going to be screening Lord Save Us from your followers. It's uh, about, I don't know, what is it, about 15 years old at this point. It's been out for a little bit. And it was done by a gentleman. It's a documentary. It was done by a gentleman by the name of Dan Merchant. Uh, he's a Hollywood producer and director and Christian. And uh, just so happens when he put the movie out that I had contacted him about a project that we were working on up in Spokane. He's kind of from that area, kind mm. of loves that area. So anyway, he got involved with the project that we were working on and got to know him, and he is just a great guy, and he is going to be here on Friday and on Saturday to join us for our weekend. So I'm really, really looking forward to having him here. We'll screen the movie on Friday night. He'll be there to take questions. He'll probably introduce the movie himself, and then he'll take questions afterwards, and then uh, Sabbath, I'll be preaching, and after I get done preaching and during our response, uh, it'll be myself, Stanley, and Dan taking uh, questions from you. And then on Saturday afternoon, really excited about this one, 3 o'clock, Dan has two two new projects that he's working on that are, I think they've already, they just got released on Pure Flix, and one of them called Going Home was the number one TV show on Pure Flix, I think, in its okay. first week or two of debuting. It's called uh, Going Home. It's about hospice nurses and the, the work they do, and that could sound a little heavy, and at times it is a little heavy, but it's actually very thought-provoking and beautiful. I got to watch the pilot episode, and it was really good. And then there's uh, another show, I believe that one's called Local and Live, and it's about a Christian radio station, so it's kind of a little bit mm. of a sitcom about a Christian radio station and just following their lives. And uh, for those of you who remember the uh, Full House star, Dave Couillet, um, oh, yeah. he's the star of that particular show. So anyway. Cut it out. That's what he's famous Cut for. Cut it out. Yeah, <laughs> oh, there you go. So. Yeah. Oh, man. I was like, Stanley's flashing gang signs over here. Yeah. I'm not sure what's I going on. <laughs> oh, cut it out. I get it. So, yeah. So uh, he's going <laughs> to he's gonna go ahead and show us an episode from each one of those shows and I do believe he's going to have like uh, there's we're going to be working a special with him where if you have not signed up for Pure Flix mm. uh, and you want to, we're going to have a promotional opportunity for you where you can save some money on a, on signing up for Pure Flix and it's it's really great. Pure Flix is the Christian version of Netflix and it they make sure that their shows are um, appropriate for families and so and it's uh, I think it's like. If you're paying on a month-by-month -month basis, I want to say it's about $8 a month for, for that service. and It's about in line with everybody else. Yeah. 
not 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 more, not less. And I think that if you actually buy the whole, if you pay up front the whole year, it's like six dollars a month or something like that. If you break it down. So anyway, and that's going to be on Saturday afternoon. We get that. That's Saturday afternoon. So show yeah. up and he'll talk about it on Friday night, I'm sure as well. And we'll 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 be talking about it a little bit. But yeah, it's going to be. Really interesting. If you've never had a chance to talk to somebody who's working actively in Hollywood, um, Dan is, and he, he's been around that scene for a long time. And it'll, it'll, you'll get some interesting insight from him on on what's going on and the projects he's working on. That's excellent. Well, you never turn down someone that's been in the biz and knows what they're doing and can offer some insight. And and plus, Dan's just one of the nicest men you'll ever meet in your life. I mean, he is. He is a true Christian. He is a, a good guy. I really enjoy him a lot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having him in town for a couple of days. Excellent. Well, speaking of, we kind of have our own Hollywood resident yeah, gene, you know, guy here. So this week yeah. we had a panel. So I felt like this week we answered almost all of the questions during the service because we did things a little yeah. bit differently. Ken's message was what, about 20 instead of about 30? And then we took uh, the I five. I think it from, still hit about twenty-five <laughs> as much we? as I tried. I tried to. I tried to bring it down, <laughs> but it didn't. Uh, I kept looking at the clock, going, "I thought this was supposed to be 15. <laughs> <laughs> on first service, I didn't look at the Actually, clock it until it was close. at about fourteen, and I was like, "Wow, that time has not gone very fast. That's been fantastic. I've got more time to work with." And turned out they gave me a 25-minute clock for the first service. So <laughs> yeah, if I, if you give it to me, I'll use it. I'm going to take it. Well, the nice part was instead of a typical response time, which is, you know, it, it always goes too fast. There's always more questions than we can answer. But that's kind of a good thing because we usually answer them here on the podcast. So I don't think we have any questions that we didn't get to. But I'll bet there's a ton of questions that are out there that didn't get asked and so my first question was, because all three of y'all were on the panel. It was Ken, Alicia? Yeah, Alicia. And I, you know what? I, mm, I'm kicking myself because I don't think I – Stanley just happened to be around this morning. We're like, ah, oh, come on into the studio. So, Alicia, we're not yeah. trying to leave you out because I didn't even think about that. But I we know that Alicia just, yeah. works at a regular – you know, not like the rest of us. She's got a real job that she has to work at. And so, Alicia, if I'd been thinking with my head on, I would have invited you to be we here. We would have yeah. loved well, to have so had you. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Please I was, don't. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was just outside the door with giving puppy dog eyes like, oh, uh, can I do the podcast? It also too? happens to be we're, we're recording this in his studio. So it seemed like we couldn't really say no, you know. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. They had to walk past me. All right. I'm like, oh, uh. Hey guys, I'm ready. And they're like, oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Stanley, of course. Why not? Why not? So, but I thought when we started the panel, I mean, if you haven't seen Inside Out, which I'm assuming most people have, I had seen like part of the beginning, a little bit of kind of the middle end, and I'd never seen the end before. I've jumped in, my girls have watched it multiple times and Hey, what do you guys want? Eh, I got other things to do, whatever. Disney movies. Eh. Shame on you. Such a good movie. And it, it was. And because I actually went I went home after church and I'm like, there was nobody else at home. It's just me. <laughs> so I plopped into the comfy chair and I'm like, I better watch this movie so I know a so little bit. So I can bit. talk. A little Semi bit. Semi-intelligently. Is that this a real reason Stanley's here? You went to sleep during that movie, didn't you? And like, you're like, hey, Stanley, like, uh, save me. All right, we need I'm, somebody that's watched this thing. I'll be honest. I did have to rewind three different parts because I did fall asleep oh, after oh, lunch. It wasn't over your head? Is that what no, it wasn't over my head. <laughs> All those emotions it's a children's were just movie. a lot for, for a guy that rides a Harley to, to kind of deal with. Oh, it was, you're not wrong there. But, uh, you know, I made myself lunch, pulled up the, the comfy chair, and that was 
was really the problem was I pulled up my comfy chair and put had this round sound just right. And, you know, I uh, was all ready to go. And I was like, this doesn't seem like where I, I was just a minute ago. <laughs> and I looked down, I was like, whoa, missed about 15, rewind, yeah. caught back up and then did one more. And yeah, you know, it, okay. but, I, but I did make it all the way through. Good job, Randy. You know, there you I, go. The part that I really was thinking about is, and the movie's pretty straightforward, but I enjoyed Stanley's little bit of insight into at least the movie making process that kind of helps us understand where, like, how they were coming at this movie. So I wanted to make sure that, in case you don't get a chance to watch the the message this week, that you at least get that perspective because I think it was really helpful. And I think the panel started with that. So Stanley, give yeah. us the give oh, us sure. the uh, that background. So. I will just start a little bit with my background is that a lot of people see me as the online host, but I actually went to film school and have my own business making videos. And I've written several spec feature length screenplays. So I've spent I usually spend most of my time looking at the story uh, when it comes to movies uh, whenever I watch it. And so uh, Ken asked me during the service, what was something that I might have noticed that maybe no one else would have noticed? And what I talked about then was that the there's, there's a typical rule in storytelling that the villain is someone that doesn't learn, that they're kind of stuck in their ways and that they don't learn and they they don't change, whereas everyone else is supposed to change in a script and a movie. Uh, so the ma- main character, Joy, changes quite a bit from the beginning to the end. Even Riley changes. And some of the other characters even go through uh, changing experiences. Bing Bong, for an example – but the way that animation kind of portrays that is they often give the villain the smallest eyes. And that's kind of a symbolic thing that kind of shows that they have a limited view of the world, that they're unwilling to see changes or unwilling to learn. But in this film, the villain would be uh, sadness because she's the uh, complete opposite of joy. And if you look at her and compared to all the other characters, she has the smallest eyes. However, they've given her giant glasses. And those giant glasses are basically also symbolic of someone that's learning or they have more information or they're wise in some way, shape, or form. And so what was interesting to me was that they kept the rule of a villain not changing. Sadness doesn't really change in the film, but it's everyone else kind of changes around her and starts to value sadness. And it's really most of the... The problems are Joy's, uh, Joy's own creation. In many ways, she's her own villain of being a little too controlling, being a little too manipulative. And I believe there's a term called toxic joy, <laughs> which uh, Ken sent me a video beforehand, too, which was uh, I actually haven't watched, but I'm hoping we'll discuss it today because the idea sounds really intriguing of toxic joy, but of just someone that's so has to be so happy all the time that it's just becomes horrible. Well, and, was I the only one that wanted to punch Joy in the face? Because <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't like Joy's character the whole time. No, those kind of people that are just like yeah. everything is bright and shiny and it's all good and you should be fun and it should be happy and it's like, well, welcome to life. It sucks sometimes, and you're mm. you're you're so detuned. But I also thought sadness to start was like. I hated both of those characters. <laughs> right. Because right. she was just like, well, you know. So who did you I, like? That's... Who did I like? Bing Bong, man. <laughs> yeah. Bing Bong Bing was, was cool. the stuff. And, uh, of course, uh, what what's the red guy? Oh, yeah. The anger. 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 Yeah. <laughs> that so was, was your was favorite. Say, <laughs> anger was my guy. What's, he, what's funny is my wife was like, man, he sounds like Randy. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> it really, yeah, that's what my wife said while we were watching it. Well, like, <laughs> then see, there you go. There you go. You related to anger. <laughs> I did. I did. But there's also a rule in uh, movie making that your main character has to be likable yet have five to seven things that need work. Uh, is one of the other rules because <laughs> wow. well, that's they, spot on. Uh, or at least prop five to seven problems that need fixing is probably another way to put it. And uh, sometimes those problems are uh, existential and in other ways they're internal of, of character flaws. So that's usually the writer's challenge is to make the character likable and flawed at the same time. Well, by the end of the movie, I mean, it was, it, it really is a very good movie and, when given what you just said and it kind of made me think i mean i didn't see it before i had that commentary so maybe that's why i noticed some of those things that i maybe probably wouldn't have noticed all that you mentioned and by the end of the movie though and i'm just like what this guy's talking about crying <laughs> and that's like yeah but this is kind of sad <laughs> <laughs> like, well, at least if Ken cried and Stanley cried, I feel I feel better. <laughs> Jeff didn't admit he cried, so I wasn't sure. So I was like, at least three out of four. I'm in good company. Well, I've got grandkids, so it's easy to, to think of this in a very yeah. personal way. Yeah. Just thinking about my own – currently my daughter, my oldest daughter is about the same size as Riley. She's – my oldest daughter is 12. Riley, I believe, is 11. And then I also have a 10-year-old, so it's kind of like – I'm seeing a child on both sides of the of that character and just looking at how much my daughter changed. And there's a part where they're looking through the expired memories that are in mm-hmm. that kind of uh, pit. Yeah. And just they're like, oh, I remember when she used to do this and that. And I'm like, hold on to the tears, like <laughs> bracing for impact, like, oh, no, <laughs> hold off, hold off. Because that was that was that part hit me really hard as a dad. I was just like, oh, no, that stop was a, it. That was a genius way. Though, if you think about it, to I thought to portray like how it works, because you think back to all those things where people tell you, man, as a kid, you always used to do this. I don't remember any of that. Or, man, you used to have this hat. They tell me all the time I had this hat and it blew out the window. And I don't remember if I think my mom convinced my dad finally to turn around to go look for it, but it was gone. And like inconsolable, they bought me five or six more hats. It was never, you know, never wore any right. of them. And you think of all these things, and then when they're just in, when they're in that pit, and they're just like, and the smoke trail goes off. It's like, well, there goes another one, and you're like, wow. And almost how fast life goes with all these all these memories and the way they used them. I thought that was I thought that was pretty genius, pretty genius. So you had mentioned Ken that as Christians we end up feeling like we think anger's bad. Yeah. And we think that, you know, joy is always a good, which clearly in the movie we we can see <laughs> in a very clear way how sadness is needed and these other emotions are needed. But there's such a stigma along with feeling bad or or worse. I mean, in the panel we talked about depression and and what they are and what they aren't and what made you think about bringing even you brought Jesus and God into it and I was like, wow, that's pretty brave. And the part that I thought was most brave was the part about fear. <laughs> and he said, the pastor's not supposed to, you know, ask questions that he's not doesn't have answers to. But you felt pretty, pretty sure that Jesus had some fear. Yeah. I want you to go deeper if there's more. And that because I, I left you know, if with I'm it. Gonna, if I'm going to tell you the truth, I feel really uncomfortable talking about it. And, and, and I felt uncomfortable, but I felt like I also needed to mention it because— Again, it's one of these things that you, as a, as human beings, were told, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, or 
if you're afraid, then the devil is at work in your life. Um, the devil causes yeah. fear. And, and we have some good reasons for saying that. Uh, the Bible yeah. tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And so there are some some reasons behind that. At the same time, the further I study the Bible, the more I feel like the emotions that we feel are not not sinful to feel those emotions. Again, it goes back to what we do with those emotions. So uh, let's go ahead and use fear as an example. If, if we allow fear to cripple us from doing what we ought to be doing to, to prevent us from moving forward, then fear is a, is a bad thing when it's something we ought to do. On the other hand, sometimes fear can be a very good motivator to do something that, that could get you really hurt. And so it's, it's a good thing in that sense, the fear reminds you, you you shouldn't do that. That that could be that could end very badly. Yeah. But when fear becomes crippling, and we use fear as an excuse to not do the things that we ought to be doing, or to take chances and to try things, that can be a problem. But I was talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is literally sweating drops of blood, according to the Bible, and he's in the Bible says he is in great anguish. And I don't know if I don't know that anguish is a synonym for fear. But generally, when I am in anguish, it's because it's often it's either physical pain that's causing me <laughs> anguish, or it's the the possibility the of what's fear. to the, the the concern, the fear yeah. of what's to come. Ooh, I, I um, resonate with that. Yeah, and and so I think that if Jesus was tempted in every way like I am, then he also is tempted with fear. That that fear was put in. He felt fear. And yet he overcame it. And, and that's one of the things I think is very important when you look at this story of God calling Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't want to do this, but not, not my will, but your will be done. And so I think what's significant is, is that if we're following God's will, we, we need to not let f- fear get in the way of following God's will. But we also shouldn't be surprised or feel like we're less than if we do feel fear. I think that fear is an emotion that God allowed us to have for sure after sin came into play yeah. because sin sin brought about death, sin brought about all kinds of terrible things and without a sense of fear um you know I was thinking about that in terms of also uh, when it talks about God placing enmity between the serpent and and Eve's descendants and enmity again is not a synonym synonym for fear necessarily but yet it's amazing to me how many people have snake phobias and there's a reason for that in my opinion <laughs> because snakes are evil yes. and so yes. Yes. so there yes. you go so mm-hmm. um and it is carried let it be so <laughs> there we go let it be so so anyway so I guess my, my what I want us to do is start understanding that we we really need to as Christians quit shaming people for feeling things. Yeah. Mm. And, and and the problem is, is we all we all feel things. The question is whether we're willing to admit it. And what what I'll give you for example, um, when I went to have my Achilles surgery on my Achilles, if when I went into to. to uh, to the surgery said, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I mean, a little bit, you know, but, and then they took my blood pressure and my blood pressure, I don't know, it was like, and I'm not proud of this or anything. It was like uh, <laughs> 200 over 120 or something ridiculous. You like, were moving. Yeah, I was moving. Woo. It wasn't good. 
And my point is, the funny thing is, here I am, I'm telling myself, you're fine. My blood pressure was telling the truth. You're not fine. You are really scared. You are really afraid. But I, again, I, I was raised in a home uh, by good, great parents. So don't, don't hear anything. Around. I think my, my own kids have been raised similarly, so I'm not judging. But I was raised in a place where it was like, just man up, go do what needs to be done, and don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And sometimes yeah. that's probably what needs to happen. But there are other times where it's really good to be honest with yourself and go, you know what? I am feeling scared right now. I am feeling worried. I am feeling concerned. Concern because when we can't, as I said in the sermon, if you can't name it, you can't tame it. You can't deal with it. And so I'm sure Jeff can kind of talk a little bit more about that. But I, I just, I look through the Bible and it is very difficult to find a biblical character that doesn't go through the full range of human emotions and that isn't recorded. The only one that I would say besides the only one that I would say that is like Daniel. You never hear them saying that Daniel was afraid or that mm-hmm. he was afraid of going to the lion's den or or that his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were afraid of going into the fiery furnace. So maybe they were afraid, or maybe the the writers didn't record that, or maybe that wasn't what was important in the telling of that particular story. Um, but the point is, you see, you see Elijah. I mean, you see Elijah bring, you know, mm-hmm, God brings mm-hmm. down fire from heaven, and the next thing you know, this guy is terrified, running off into the wilderness, and and basically saying, "Well, why are you going to?" <laughs> you know, and we can't you relate to that? And I mean, I love Daniel, yeah. but man, I relate to Elijah. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. man, I have seen God do these tremendous things in my life, and then the next moment, I find myself afraid, and I start being myself up and say, God. You must not be very proud of me. You must not love me because I can. I just can't get this figured out. You do these huge things for me, and the next minute, you know, I'm I'm completely messing up. Whereas, if you have a healthy understanding of emotions, you can say, you know what? When you have these huge moments, it's a, it's a recipe for understanding that when you have this big experience, there's nowhere to go but down. And when you go down, if you're not prepared for, it, you're not really thinking about it. You're gonna you're gonna run into some problems emotionally, but um, you know the other book that I didn't talk about that that I think I talked about early on when I came to whole life was um, uh, permission to feel, um, which I think the author of that just lays out a fantastic um, case for why it's important to label emotions and why it's un- important to feel things, and so. I just wanted to talk about that. I thought this movie did a, a fabulous job about pointing out that. All emotions can have dark sides, even joy. Yeah. Um, and, and and to your point a little bit earlier, Randy, you said it, people that are always joyful just make you— They drive me nuts. Drive you nuts. <laughs> and and I think the reason is because often that doesn't feel very authentic. It, it, it's the total reason. And yeah. <laughs> it feels like you cannot be that happy all the time. There's got to be, you know— your dog just died. You can't be happy, or maybe you are, but maybe that's depending on the dog. I don't know, but but you know what I'm saying. But you know, when somebody, it's very hard to to be around somebody who is always professing this outward happiness. Maybe I won't use the word joy, but I'll use the word happiness. Like I'm happy all the time. I mean, I get it when you talked about manifesting your thoughts, and I think, Jeff, you mentioned that too in the panel, about how we manifest our thoughts and how our attitudes are, you know, can can swing along with those. And so, I like, I don't want to rain on that person's parade that is consistently trying to bring this happy, um, I don't want to say facade, but this happy outlook on life every day, but it's like, 
you know, I, I just have, I don't know, you know, maybe someone's life has been a whole lot better or easier or whatever. But, you know, we had a we had an English teacher in high school and a principal that both of them were just about enough to drive two people insane with. And every every day was a big smile. I mean, it's six o'clock in the morning and it's like. It's a beautiful day, people, if you start it with the Lord. Now, that's a true statement, right? That's a great statement. But, like, it doesn't matter if a tornado ripped through campus and knocked down trees. I mean, nothing. And, in, in, okay, maybe that's good leadership. I'm always showing my, my, my best foot forward. And the English teacher was just like, every day, good morning, students. <laughs> and that smile never left for a whole hour. And you're just like... You know, I just want to beat my head against the wall because I just I can't imagine this. And yet she was one of the nicest people you would ever want to meet and him for that matter. So I'm like, you know, maybe it's just me being jealous of someone who just is, is you know, a genuinely nicer, better person than me. Is there a way that our overjoy or constant joy is, breeds a sense of inauthenticity to other people? I mean, is that a thing or is it just... You know, some some of us may be more bitter or jaded than others. <laughs> <clears throat> it's like Christian radio is like they're so happy every day. But I think we should have. Oh, a you're going to so enjoy that then with Dan's show because this is one of the things that he oh, nice. uh, yeah <laughs> I, he I points think, out in this show. <laughs> I, I think we should have uh, just a grumpy church service one day where we're all just not. <laughs> happy at all just to but, see how people react. I don't know. Sam, that may be going a little bit further. Than maybe, maybe we're beginning let's, let's to miss the real. point. Maybe. Let's get real. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do think that there is, a, there is something to be said about somebody who is joyful all the time is not being real or authentic. And, and I don't know if I would say that. I would say that there are some people who maybe uh, – avoid those things and maybe in public mm, okay. maybe they have other ways of sharing maybe they have other w- outlets we can't judge a person who's always happy just like we shouldn't judge a person who's always ornery <laughs> oh um, really nice guy I promise <laughs> he was looking right at you when he <laughs> said that he right? was like looking right at you <laughs> then we, he, and then he glanced over at me <laughs> <laughs> we like to keep things real here <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I do think that it's, it is important that we understand our motivations. And I think that's, you know, everybody has thoughts and feelings that they just, they kind of go back and forth. I, I love the, um, the way in which, Ken, you brought up the opinions and facts piece. But um, we all have thoughts and feelings and we all have attitudes. Our attitudes are different than our feelings because they are somewhat core to how we understand feelings. Mm. So in other words, you, you know, you've got basic attitudes like um, uh, pleasure, pain, uh, guilt, um, probably joy would be one of them, and, and even uh, fear. So these are all motivating kind of attitudes. These are the ones that literally get us to change. I think that's when... When we think of, I, I love the fact that Ken was on that you were uncomfortable about the fear, because I don't think that motivated Jesus to change his behavior. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't. It's when we all of a sudden decide that we're going to allow those core attitudes or feelings mm-hmm. to change how we treat people, how we see our goals, how we. That's the part that sometimes I think could be 
off. I loved how in the characters in the movie, actual, you know, them personifying each of them and and overdone for, you know, probably oh, sure. for, you know, the value of entertainment. But like anger was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was and who was and the green girl was disgust. Disgust. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, she was one of I mean, she was a close second to anger. But so many times I'm noticing some things going yeah. on. I know, right? <laughs> but they were fear, sadness, forget about them. Yeah. But you know, the the thing that struck me was when Joy went over and she drew the circle and she's like, I got a job for you, sadness. Yeah, right. You just gotta keep all the sadness inside the circle. And I feel like in so many people that, and again, not not a judging, but just from an outward appearance, what you can see, that a lot of times we put in ourselves, we take those mm-hmm. same things and we go, this is the one I don't like to have control because too happy. Let's put, let's, let's keep all the happiness in a circle or let's keep, let's keep the anger in a circle or let's, let's do these. And I really, the, the thing that I took away from the message in the movie was that we all have to work. I mean, we have to let all of these work together to some degree. That's the beauty of it. And, and yeah. the beauty of it. But the problem is that's really hard if you want to keep at least one, <laughs> if you yeah. want to keep one in the circle, uh, two in a, maybe a little bit bigger circle, but still in a circle, or you're not willing to let those go because maybe like for anger, that's something I grew up with and have worked my whole life to be better at and to, not so much anymore that I worry about getting angry because I know that's going to happen. That's just I'm a perfectionist and it's the way things go. And when it doesn't go right, I get angry. That's just, that's going to happen. But what you do with it and how you let it get outside of you to affect other people, your family, people around you, people who might just be watching. How do we give ourselves permission to like let these all work together, but somehow still keep that rain in without giving too much to one or too less another? Is there a balance? How do we make that work? Because we're all different and, you know, each one of us has a a more dominant or less dominant piece to the puzzle. And it just seems like if you, if you let go a little bit, what if I'm letting letting go of the wrong one? Or it it seems like it's, um, it could be easily a free for all. I'll add some personal flavor to this in that I know that I am often ashamed if I show sadness in front of my kids. Like, I feel like I have to project some kind of strong man image uh, to dad image to my kids. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm disappointing them, you know, (laughs) if I'm sad and not some pillar of strength. And then someone once gave me advice that I kind of realized is maybe not the best advice, which was never argue with your wife in front of your kids. And I just feel like every once in a while they need to see that, you know, we have conflict and we do resolve it as just something I feel like my kids should see every once in a while. Yeah, I agree with you on that yeah. one, Stanley. I think that um, for those who don't, uh, I don't know, you want to probably save some of your, you know, stronger <laughs> uh, conversations for uh, other times. But I do think that it's important for your kids to watch you and see how you resolve conflict. And I think maybe just equally important is to allow kids to see that two people can be really angry at each other and still love each other and choose to to stay engaged. I think that's equally important because I think that if you grow up and you never see that happening, it can be very, um, very disturbing and it can seem like it's not possible to love somebody and be in conflict with them. And um, so, you know, wherever you may be on that topic, just 
you know, something to think about a little bit. But being authentic with our kids, I think, is important. You know, Randy, we haven't talked about – I mean, and that's a very good point. I think that we – I think it is important that we are real with our children and they see how to resolve conflict. They see how to – the problem is, is there's sometimes uh, just like this was a really – you know, cute little family from Minnesota. Well, that was their first problem. And uh, <laughs> and and then we have <laughs> we have. There's a lot of subtle stuff that you probably aren't hearing right now. But there's <laughs> there's uh, back and forth between the Wisconsinites and the Minnesotans. But there aren't a lot. There's a lot of families who aren't as well equipped as maybe even that family that we saw in this in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, and for sure. And there and and arguing in front of your children, though that is probably you know if they see real love displayed even sometimes when you're angry, those are good things. But there is also times when selfishness and uh, stonewalling and and grudge matches and scorekeeping, all of those things get played out in front of their kids. And there's things that happen as a result of these. You know, we have abandonment issues. We have attachment issues. We have children growing up in yeah. homes where they don't see even a healthy single parent. You know, it, it's just it's so hard. And those are the things that I think this movie, I think, in a way could help even still by realizing that this young girl, when she ran away, which I thought was a very powerful piece to the movie, when she ran away, she started to realize how she could integrate some of the things that she had, you know, she had learned and grown and maturity in a way started to take over. And we still have a choice. Even though we see bad examples or things around us that are difficult to even watch, we still have the ability to choose and hopefully um, those choices could end up good. You know, we have a lot of, you know, we have bad, we see bad families and still good kids come, oh, yeah. come out of that. So our brains are so nuanced that it is, it is amazing how resilient they can be even in some of the hardest situations. I appreciate what both of you said about, and you too, Jeff, about this being authentic in front of our kids and, to me, one of the most important things is to actually see that conflict resolution a lot of times does not happen in the moment. It doesn't maybe even happen in the same day. But if they're a part of certain conversations, I don't think should happen in front of kids and certain arguments should certainly not happen in front of kids. But if by chance they did, be, if they're a part of the beginning part, when it's resolved and it can be, you know, it resolved like adults, it can be resolved without raising voices or even if it's raising voices, it ends with a hug and, and resolution and positivity. I think they need to see that every bit as much to go, you know, it's okay if I need to take time and, and process what I've heard. And and sometimes it, um, it de-escalates the situation and how do we know we're making progress or we're on the right path so we're not just like treading water? I think all parents <laughs> wish that there was <laughs> one book that they could go to. We're all parents here. Um, yeah. And um, I'm a little further on down the line than than the three of you. But I, looking back at the whole thing, I think two things that will 
in terms of uh, how I understand it. One was never trying to sugarcoat the fact that I made a mistake or mm-hmm. tried to gloss over it. I, I was if, – if, if I made a mistake, it was really important for me to come back and I think that has paid huge dividends in the lives of my children who understand and know they don't have a perfect father or mother either, although she's pretty close. Um, but <laughs> uh, she would tip of the glove save, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was nice. That was nice. But they don't have a they don't have a perfect father, and they certainly understand that they don't have to be a they're they're not in a perfect family. So that was that was one thing I learned early mm. on. And then number two, I think whenever whenever there was a way in which I could help them understand and and see some things that might trip them up down the way, I I wasn't it wasn't an arbitrary no don't do that or don't it was always let's let's explore this. If you want to go down that road, let's make sure Let's find out that, where we're headed. That, yeah. that that road is literally the choice you really want to make. And so we would, you know, we would have a discussion. And I never shied away from really hard discussions about that. Granted, when they got to be teenagers, it was difficult because a lot of times I watched them make the wrong decision. Yeah. And um, now, obviously, it wasn't decisions that were life-threatening at that point. Uh, that's sometimes all you can hope for is you keep your kids alive <laughs> when they're in their later <laughs> teens. Isn't that the truth, right? <laughs> But um, that was that was probably some of the things that, and we still talk about it. Yeah. We still talk. That's awesome. Uh, one thing I wanted to go as we start to wrap up, Ken, you said when the Bible says that God wants to live in our midst and calls Jesus God with us, it is the good news that God is with us no matter what emotion or blend of emotions we are feeling. He has empathy. Ooh, that empathy sounds really, really good. How do we... <laughs> When you're in the thick of it and you're the one feeling like I made a mistake, I goofed up, yeah, I, I fell on the sword, I, I, yep, it was me, I took responsibility. And, you know, particularly because this movie is talking about parenting and, and, and uses that, you know, as a parent, you're just sitting there going, man, I really, I really goofed on this one. I really, I really blew it. And it doesn't feel like, I guess I'm, I, I tend to probably project that onto, onto Jesus and, and, just, and God and say, well, I don't have that much empathy. Maybe he doesn't either. <laughs> I mean, you know, because oh, I, I, am, I am in his image after all. We, we, you brought that up again this week. And in that statement, you sounded pretty sure of yourself. And you were pretty convinced that that's the truth. Yeah, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've convinced I've become that God is with us at all times. He is empathetic. You know, the Bible says that we we do not have an unsympathetic high priest. Um, mm. He has been tempted in every way that we are. And and what I find particularly encouraging is that the text continues on and says, and yet he never sinned, and yet he's still empathetic. Even though he didn't make the mistakes that I'm making, he still understands why. He does he understands how hard it is. And he loves us. It's and and I think that we all you know, whether you have a pet that you love a lot or a sibling or a parent or a child, you think about those, those the people that you love the most in your life and you think what it would take for you not to love them. 
And and I think in terms of like for me, I think about Rochelle, I think about Kyla, I think about Eric. And I think what would it take for me to not love Kyla and Eric? What would it take for me to not be willing to forgive them? What would it take for me to not want them? What would it take for me to not want Kyla and Eric to use the last name of Wetmore? I mean, it kills me the thought that my daughter is going to be changing her last name. And who knows how soon, right? I mean, she's 18 years old, so... You know, no boys right now that are, you know, anywhere near that. But the time is maybe not too far away. I mean, Rochelle and I, I was 24. She was 23 when we got married. And like to think that five, but, Four, five, oh my but let me not get lost in this point <laughs> yeah. and start my own crying here. But my the, the point is, it, I don't even like the idea of my daughter, even when she's going to be in love with somebody and marry somebody that she's going to, I'm always going to love the fact that she's still was a Wetmore first. Yeah. You know, and and you think about if <laughs> Jesus says if you imperfect people know how to love your children, how much more so your father in heaven. Mm. And so you think about what even if you don't have kids, if you've got a pet that you love a lot or a parent or a sibling, what would it take for that person that 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 pet to do for you to be like, I'm done with you. When those emotions move into negative behaviors, God still loves us, and he's still there for us, and he still wants us to reach out to him to get rid of our fear, to get rid of our disgust, to to um, to get rid of the anger. And I don't want it to sound like an easy thing because I know that there are people who pray and pray and pray to get rid of the anger in their life that they feel, the deep-seated anger, and they have that anger sometimes for reasons they can't identify and sometimes for reasons that they can't identify. Very, They know why they feel that anger, but they feel this deep anger and they pray and ask God to take away and it doesn't go away. And I thought one of the, the very insightful questions that I got asked this last week after the service was over, I had somebody come up and say, well, didn't Jesus pe- heal people in the New Testament? Didn't he just say a word and they were they were made well? So yeah. why is it that we don't think that today we can just pray and God will make us whole in that moment and right away? You know, didn't he raise, I mean, if he could raise the dead to life, can't he raise the dead to, you know, why can't he just make those changes? And as we discussed it out, one of the, the things that came to my mind was, you know, in the Bible, when you look at Jesus' life, how many people died while he was here on earth that were within his immediate sphere? Oh, yeah. It had to be quite a few. And yet, I only can find two people, Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son, and I'm sorry, and the third, the uh, Jairus' oh, daughter, daughter yeah. um, three people that are brought back to life by him. And there had to be so many more that died besides those three people. And Jesus didn't bring them all back to life. And you think that there were people who had leprosy that weren't healed by Jesus while he was here on earth. And all I'm trying to say by that is, is that there are those moments where God does the extraordinary in our lives. He does. He flips the switch. We, we've felt this constant anger, and, and suddenly God, we pray about it, and God flips the switch and is gone. And then there are other times where God allows that anger to remain in our life, and as Paul says, as a thorn in the side, um, that you pray that it will go away, but but that keeps you in a constant state of knowing how much you need Jesus, how much you need him in your life. And if God doesn't take it away, that he has the grace, that his grace is sufficient 
to cover whatever it is that he's not going to immediately remove in your life or that is going to hang around in your life. And I've known people who have gone for decades with sins and issues in their life that they've prayed about, they've put at Jesus' feet, they've asked him to take away, and it just doesn't go away. But they keep putting it there, they keep holding on, and at times like that I'm reminded of Jacob holding on to the angel, angel who we yeah. believe is Jesus, to his feet and saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so for me that's become one of the themes in my life that when God doesn't take something that I want him to take away, I visualize myself hanging on to his ankles and saying, but I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I am going to hold on through the pain. Remember that Joseph had, had a dislocated <laughs> hip. Yeah. I'm going to hold on through the pain, and I'm, and I'm going to hold on to you. And I will, if, I really am, if I really am able to, in that pain, think about it, I know that you're actually holding on to me too because you could wrench yourself loose from my grip feeble anytime. grip anytime yeah. you want. Yeah. But I'm going to visually choose to hold on to. I like that. That's a good a good visualization. That's something that you can actually kind of set your mind to and feel like. Sometimes it's just, it's just hanging on to God's ankles. I mean, that's it. just literally it. So as we, as we start to wrap up, any any last thoughts? Anything oh. you wanted to leave anyone with? Sure. I was going to say in response to your question about God being empathetic that. Um, the thing about stories it, to me is really interesting in that there's been a lot of books trying to dissect stories, and a lot of it is trying to find a pattern to what makes a story good. And you can go through all of these books and all of these old stories. There's a great book, uh, The Heroes or A Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. is one of the uh, original stories about story, original books about story. But they go all the way back. They analyze all the way Bible, earliest written stories, and they all follow a same pattern. And that to me means that there's something written on our souls that understands stories. And what happens in every story is someone's in a place that maybe they shouldn't be. They're set off on an adventure. Things go good. Things go bad. And then there's a fantastic ending. Even the Bible itself as a whole follows a pretty similar arc. And I just feel like God is giving us hope in that soul-seared version of what story is, is what I feel, is that it's written on our souls that there, that a happy ending is possible. Now, unfortunately, there are stories that are tragic as well, So, um, but I just feel like that, to me, is God kind of whispering to our souls of, you're in a story, you just need to figure out where you are in that story. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Just really quickly, I think we don't always understand the power that we have over our own emotions. And I think we need to, at times, come to grip. You know, this gentleman that came up to you, Ken, afterwards, you know, Jesus can just take care of things. I mean, if you believe you have an issue with anger or an issue with avoidance or an issue, whatever it might be, yes, those those are people that things that people struggle with. But there's also things that we we have power to do. Christ has given us the ability to choose. Sometimes it does mean we have to turn off the TV, maybe. Maybe it does mean that we have to stop and understand that the narrative that we have needs to have a different spin or maybe even reframed completely. So I think it's important. It's up to us to realize if 
And besides, uh, you know, a disorder or a mental health or a personality uh, issue, it is up to us to see that we are in control of our emotions. It's not somebody else's issue. Uh, that's such a good point, Jeff. I think, and that's the one thing I would not want somebody to walk away from this sermon, this movie, from hearing me say is that you ha- you're powerless over your emotions and that, oh, well, if you feel sadness, then there's, you know, then there's nothing that can be done about it. When you let sadness take over your life, that's where depression happens. That's where some other things, and we need to be careful to sort sadness from depression. These are different things. But what I also want to do is I, I feel like the pendulum has gone pretty far towards shaming people for feeling things. And on yeah. the other side of the pendulum is taking no responsibility for your feelings and saying, right. well, I can't help how I feel. And so because I can't help how I feel, it's going to manifest itself in bad behaviors. These are Both sides are a lie. Um, and if you are struggling with how to deal with that, um, I'd encourage you to find a, a great counselor um, who can help walk you through it. There's a number of fantastic books out there on these topics that you can read and find the healing in your life that you need and and know that Jesus is there with you on that journey. Mm, that's the one not to forget for sure. Take time to get good sleep and take time to get good relaxation and recreation. Re- recharge yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for Thanks. that. Now I know what I need to do. <laughs> it's not, those both sounded really, really good. Really, really good. All right. Well, I hope everyone really had a chance to, if you haven't, Definitely check out the movie, check out the the message and the panel, which is already in today's show notes. If you swipe up, you will see the link to Speaking of Grace, our sister podcast, which has the message and this week's response time, which was about 15 minutes with the panel. A lot of good stuff, a lot of ideas, and a lot of just things you can kind of sink your teeth into, think about, pray about, and see where that leads you. And if you had any questions about it, the as always, 407-965-1607, you can text or leave a voicemail or email podcast at wholelife.church. And of course, we've already talked about it, but it is Lord Save Us from Your Followers and Dan Merchant, Friday evening, 6, 6 p.m. o'clock. 6 o'clock. And that's going to be the screening. That's going to be the screening of Lord Save Us from Your Followers, then 9.30 and noon for our worship services, where Dan will be there as well. And then uh, 3 o'clock for a showing of his two yeah. uh, two new TV shows that he's produced for Pure Flix. I think you're going to really enjoy them. Invite your friends. Yeah. The, you know, just, you know. Invite your enemies. It'll be good. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's a showdown at Whole Life this week, so bring everybody. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you guys for listening, sharing, and all that good stuff, and have a great week. <laughs>